1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of the Parenthood Podcast. A few weeks ago, I was asked to interview the author, blogger, and baby loss campaigner Elle Wright as her book Ask Me His Name was published. Many of you will be aware of Elle's story, but for those of you who aren't, Elle's baby boy, Teddy, dies a few days after his birth from an unexplained complication that made him incompatible with life. In the bleak months that followed, Elle started writing a blog about how she was navigating that loss and how she balanced the joy in her life with the underlying sadness. Her honest, engaging and often funny posts garnered a huge following, and this autumn her book, Ask Me His Name, was published. I needed to record our interview for my article, but it was such a special chat and Elle is such a wonderfully wise person, I thought I'd share it here on the podcast. So enjoy. The book's amazing. I've got to start out with that because it really, I read it on um, a plane to Toronto and Ben always says that whenever he watches films in planes he gets more teary and I mean literally the person next to me I think thought I was having a cardiac arrest oh, no, because no. I was sobbing sobbing but it was you know when I say that it's not because it's sad because the st- your story is so sad but I think your writing is so beautiful you have articulated yourself so well it's an amazing book so firstly congratulations
2: thank you and I'm glad you think that because I can't tell you how nervous I was when those proof copies went out to people and um you know I obviously sent out a few panicked emails and messages saying so the book's on its way to you but um you know tell me what you think and at the same time I was just thinking it's it's out there other people are, are going to read it other than myself and my editor and and my literary agent and at this point nobody had read it not even my husband um or my mother, or any of the people close to me, so it was, yeah, it was really nerve-wracking to think that other people were going to, first of all, read it, but then, you know, cast their own opinion on it. Yeah. Um. And I, I can't say how pleased I was when I got your email. <laughs> I <just> thought, oh, <laughs> thank goodness, thank goodness that you, you know, and I think particularly for you reading it, I, because you would read it in the same way that I would read it if you wrote a book about losing Willem, with that, you know, that common ground, that experience, and just reading somebody else's words, and thinking, yeah, I I felt that, and I've been through that, and I know, I understand how that feels, and you know, the book is for everybody, but I would really love to think that it can bring that element of comfort and support to somebody who is grieving for their child so to know that there were parts that resonated with you just yeah it, it really it meant so much it really did well I remember
1: really when I was pregnant with Luda I was like one of the first of my friends to be pregnant I didn't really know that much about pregnancy and I picked up a whole bunch of books in fact a friend of mine who just given birth gave me a whole bunch of books and one of them was Jules Oliver's book um which um, kind of just documented her sort of getting pregnant and then pregnancy and I think it was one of my favorite books only because it was just someone else's experience of what I was experiencing and that was something that was you know there weren't that many facts in it but I just loved the way she wrote and I loved just the empathy and I think you know had I read your book when Willem had just died it would have been so helpful because I felt so alone I felt like I'd experienced something that no one that I knew had experienced and I desperately wanted to you know you 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 sort of mentioned it being a sort of the ultimate anti n c t manual at one point you know the 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 book for the kind of unthinkable yeah,
2: but I do think that will be incredibly valuable, you know, and I think this was something that when the book was first a concept and um I was asked to write it and asked if I wanted to write it off of the back of the blog and the kind of style of writing that I had been doing um the first thing I said is I don't I don't want to write a, a misery memoir. I don't want this to be a miserable book um about, you know, a lady who who lost her child and then let it define her and and cried about it for the rest of her life. I wanted it to be a legitimate narrative of parenting. Um because for me, when you go into the bookshops and you go to the sh- to the shelves about pregnancy and family, I felt like there was this big hole, this like vast, you know, hole that wasn't being filled with actually a story in a positive light about, you know, this might happen to you, but it's not the end of your parenting journey. There are still things that you can do to honour your baby. There are still ways that you can encourage your friends and family to talk about your child. It doesn't need to be this. That's the end of the line. We don't talk about it anymore Mm. and I think you know ask me his name is exactly that and that's what hopefully the title kind of suggests that I do just want people to carry on that conversation whether it's the parent who has lost their child or whether it's the friend the family member the the work colleague of the person who's lost the child just to give us all that freedom you know it's so freeing just to be able to talk about things isn't it normally Mm. um and I think you know that's that's really important and I wanted it to sit in that sort of section of family and parenting and pregnancy so that you know like you said like Jules's book it's that relatable experience that people can pick up and say oh thank goodness you know I'm not the only one that felt that I'm not losing it. Society
1: does sort of some surreptitiously tell you you can't talk about losing your baby yeah it does I felt that I felt that you know at one point you say I you know my friends must have got sick of me blathering on but it's a massive event in the same way that having a baby is a massive event in the same way that getting married or you know someone dying is a massive event and yet weirdly
2: you get this impression that you're not allowed to talk about it exactly that and I feel like you know you say blathering on but it's not. I mean, how many women do you know who have children and they have their children here? And it's not a bad thing at all, but their topping of conversation generally is that child or what's happening in that child's life or, or how that child is developing. And, and they talk about their children, of course, as anybody would be expected to, all the time. And it's lovely and it's wonderful because that's what being a mother is. So to lose your child and not only be facing all of the things that, you know the milestones that they're not kind of achieving and that the things that aren't happening you're then not allowed to talk about them either I mm. mean to me that it just seems like well you know we talk about what fills our mind
1: up yeah and when you've lost a baby that fills your mind up it's the one thing you're not allowed to talk about you know if you're stressing about your job interview or the fact that your dishwasher's is broken you'll talk about yeah. that and yet why is it that there's one subject that's possibly the subject that needs to be talked about the most that We aren't allowed to talk about.
2: Yeah, and I think grief as a whole can be, you know, really shocking grief. So the very sudden death of somebody who, you know, their death has defied the natural order, and they're too young in our, in our um, sort of view to lose their life. I think that is the grief that we really struggle with. That is the one where you know it knocks us sideways, it knocks the wind out of ourselves, and we just. I think as a society need to be a little bit better at talking about that and continuing the conversation because it will continue to happen you know very unfortunately babies will continue to be born in circumstances of which you know they they cannot live because they're too poorly Um, people will continue to die from disease or from accident too young and we need to accept that you know we can't for the people who that's happened to the ones who are left behind we can't just sort of say "Oh you know that's it then we don't talk about that anymore and I think you know, particularly after you've just carried a baby for nine months or however long and you've brought that child into the world whether they were breathing when they got here or not that is completely by the by as my mother would say you know it doesn't it doesn't matter you you gave birth to that baby and they are your child forever Mm-hmm. That nobody can can take that away from you mm-hmm. and I think it's just so important to as a mother and a parent be able to uh, be allowed to say that say whatever you want to say about them because they're yours and no one can take that away yeah I mean I also felt that talking about Willem and
1: mentioning his name made it so much easier someone described um you know the the period after losing a child as an adjustment because your life is so very different to what Mm -hmm. you imagined and I remember thinking I mean for a good few months afterwards thinking I cannot believe this actually happened like pinching myself as if I'd wake up from a horrible dream and going oh my oh it didn't happen thank goodness it was just a bad dream I had to pinch myself and I felt that every time I mentioned Willem's name and I addressed that thing that my Brain was trying so hard to process. My brain kind of clicked a little closer to processing it. Mm -hmm. And you talk about that in the book that you felt that it was it would help that adjustment.
2: Yeah, I talk about in the book writing the two words or saying the two words. Teddy died, and I know that sounds like such a silly thing to say because he did. But when you're in that period of adjustment and you are waking up and thinking. Oh my God, that couldn't have happened to me this is it's just some bizarre new reality that I don't want to be living in you need your subconscious to catch up with what has happened and I can remember a bereavement midwife um she came from NHS England because she had to interview us to uh they do a national report into statistics of of child death so anybody under the age of 18 who has who has died um on the NHS's time, so in an NHS hospital, which Teddy did, um, they do a, a a national survey each year that give them the statistics. And um, she was the loveliest Irish lady with the most softly spoken voice I think I've ever met. And um, she said to me, how are you feeling? And obviously you can't articulate at that time how you're feeling. I think it was only about three or four weeks after Teddy had died. And I said to her, I, I don't feel like it's real. I don't feel and she said well how are you coping what are you doing and I said to her you know I am finding that I'm talking a lot to my friends and saying his name out loud and she said if that's what you need to do she said because what you will feel is that you know what's happened of course you do but you can't fully feel it, you can't adjust to it. And she said it will take a while for your subconscious to catch up on on your new reality. So she said do what you need to do to make that become your reality so that you can feel it because as soon as you feel it and you go through all of those emotions, you will start to come out of the other side of that depth of sadness. It was so wise because you know when she said that to me, I just thought, She's absolutely right. Of course my of course my subconscious hasn't already caught up with this awful thing that's happened. Why would it? It's the unthinkable. It's the thing that none of us ever fathom could have possibly happen to us or anybody that we know and we love. And um yeah, that for me just saying those words to to people, you know, when Teddy died, or when I had Teddy or when you know, when Teddy stopped breathing or when we had Teddy's funeral, if I said those things out loud, first of all I couldn't they would take my breath away and I would get really teary obviously and then the more you say it and the more you do it and your your mind adjusts to this new reality you find that you are able to say it and I guess the the book is probably the ultimate manifestation of that it's me being able to walk through that i think if if i'd tried to do it any earlier i don't think i would have been able to because there were certain chapters that I had to really, you know, walk back through. And it was, as you know, incredibly upsetting to relive those things. But if it relates to one other person and they, they read it and think, yeah, that was me and that was how I felt, then that, that makes it worth it. Yeah. I mean, you talking about
1: the the, talking about sort of verbalizing it, I remember very well. I couldn't at the beginning. I couldn't say my child had died. Couldn't say it. I remember having to get onto the phone to the insurance company uh, for various reasons, and I remember it got to say, you know, they said, "So why do you want to make this claim?" I was like, "My," and, and literally words wouldn't come out, and I was just crying. And, but a bit like riding a, learning to ride a bicycle, mm-hmm. the more you persevere, the easier it becomes, which is so weird. Like I've never have thought that would be the case, but I think as you wrote about in the book and certainly i found that talking about that talking freely was such a big part if not the biggest part Mm. of the healing process
2: so much so and i think you can try and bury feelings and not talk about them but you know they will catch up with you so you may as well walk through them as they come at you and things sort of fall into place and you learn to navigate that new normal of your life without bursting into tears every five minutes still happens quite a lot yeah I mean it doesn't mean I don't feel (laughs) incredibly sad about it that's one of the things I get asked so often on Instagram you know people send me messages or emails how are you so happy why are you why are you so happy um you know you seem so positive all the time I think what we have to remember as well is social media is a particularly Instagram stories. It's a 15 second clip of our day, you know, and and I might do a few face to face camera talking stories where I'm cracking a joke or, you know, telling an an anecdote of something that happened to me me that day or, you know, whatever it is, something really unimportant. But obviously I find it hugely interesting (laughs) and that is not my reality. Do I wake up every day and feel... a A sadness an ache that Teddy's not here absolutely I do and as I'm sure you do for Willem you know you you think there's not a day when you're not doing something and they're not just that that one thought away in your head and that's how I've explained it to my friends you know when they've asked about Teddy and I say you know I can be doing anything anything out in the garden or whatever I'm doing and he's always he's always just there he may not be in my thought that moment but he's one thought away and I mean that's a lot to carry around with you isn't it it's a huge amount to carry around with you but you know a lot more if
1: you can't talk about it and if you've that sort of silent shadow you know on the shoulder I love I love it when you talk about crying in the book <laughs> and you're kind of embracing of tears it really interestingly they're starting to understand a bit more about how important physiologically crying is it's one thing that I've done a lot more in front of my children since Willem died is cry openly I used to be terrified of my parents crying because I never saw it happen now my children see me crying the whole time I mean yeah. literally their music teacher left I was sobbing <laughs> in the assembly hall I mean it was ridiculous <laughs>
2: They're probably like, oh no, there goes mum again, crying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it how, just going to quote a little
1: bit from the book. Um, it's not uncommon for me to burst into tears and it can take me by surprise, and it usually does. It probably worries some people or makes them feel I'm not dealing with losing Teddy. But for me, I think it shows that I am not scared of those emotions and I don't mind who sees me crying. Sometimes they're also happy tears. It's a great lesson to to teach to a kind of generation I feel so much better after a cry sometimes I feel that it's like building up like a poo you know and you're like oh yeah I definitely needed to do
2: that 100% and you have a big cry about whatever it is and you can you can feel yourself sort of on that kind of precipice can't Mm. you that just teetering on the edge knowing that it's going to happen it's like emotions they're they're coming at you um and I'm exactly the same so I'll be in the house you know doing whatever I'm doing or I would have had a busy day and it all starts to mount up like it does with anybody you know stresses in life and I think what I've just become better at is recognizing when it's going to happen and knowing Mm. when I'm building up to having a big boohoo and when it happens I just have a big sob um and you know sometimes it's when my husband's there sometimes it's when I'm talking to my mum on the phone or whatever and actually I feel better because then I'm sort of crying at someone and you feel like somebody's there to say and and you know that I normally find that when I start crying they start crying so it kind of adds this whole oh everybody needed it It's, it's obviously built up and everybody feels better for doing it so yeah I don't I don't feel bad about crying in front of people now anymore particularly when it's about Teddy because if it makes them feel awkward or a little bit weird for five, ten minutes of their day, then it's nothing in comparison to the awkwardness and the weirdness that we have to carry with us for the rest of their lives. So and also, the more they're exposed to women crying, the better it is, because they'll yeah. get over it eventually. Yeah, exactly, eventually. You know, we will hopefully live in a world when your children grow up, and that will be normal for for us all to show each other emotion yeah and and it won't be this shocking shocking thing that we should feel embarrassed about I'm not gonna ever feel embarrassed because I cry because my son died you know it's and it is really freeing like it is really freeing when you can just do that
0: hold up what was that
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What I found hard is that often when you cry, people think there's something wrong and there's not, you just need to cry. There's not something specifically wrong apart from your child died, like that, that biggie that no one can get rid of. No, nothing. Um, and I remember one of the things I felt most grateful to Ben for was that when I would have a crying moment, he just hugged me and he didn't need to f- the feel, to, to feel the need to say something or ask me what he could do to resolve it because he just knew I needed to yeah. cry. And that sort of acceptance that it's this release that just needs to be released, but yeah. you can't, it's not a sort of, oh, you've, you know, you, you said something to upset me and that can be resolved. It can't be resolved. It just needs to be excreted in yeah. a way.
2: It just needs to hang there in the air, doesn't it? Nobody needs to say anything back. And my husband's exactly the same, you know, whenever I... He always knows when I'm building up to having a big boohoo, as he calls it. And he always just does exactly the same, gives me a big hug and says, let it out. Like, like he just knows that that's the best thing to do. Because afterwards, he knows from experience that i will be you know it's like pressing a reset button Mm -hmm. and being able to okay okay i can carry on now Mm -hmm. because i've done that and Mm -hmm. you know it's it doesn't doesn't mean that it's i'm sad in the here and now i'm always you know there's always a level of sadness it's just come to a little little peak isn't it it's like little peaks and troughs of how you can handle it yeah I,
1: I love the sort of narrative of the book. Obviously, it's a story and it's telling your story of of Teddy and your pregnancy and actually going as far back as, as meeting your husband. Um, but obviously, the majority of the book is after Teddy dies mm-hmm. and, and that, um, you know, the journey for you. In terms of the hardest parts of things, I mean, obviously being told that your child is going to die, um, everyone can, you know, and, and the actual, you know, letting him go, which you described so beautifully, so maturely. And, you know, they talk about good deaths and bad deaths. And that was, you yeah. know, a good death. Um, and you talk about then other things that happened. One of the th- most poignant parts for me was his um, his funeral, and uh, which obviously was very harrowing for you um but then also you talk later on in the book about the first time you went to a christening um after teddy's death which is an incredibly brave thing to do because it was quite it was quite soon was afterwards
2: a few months after yeah
1: and it was a christening of your godchild, yes. and and you know your friend had said listen i don't expect you to be there and you said no no I'd, I'd really like to be there um and it was probably one of those experiences that you knew was going to be hard but didn't realize quite how hard it was going to be
2: it was one of those things that was a bit like ripping a plaster off you know you kind of in your mind's eye you thought no I can do this and the sooner I do it <clears throat> I think we do that sometimes don't we we think right, the sooner I do it and I just walk through that pain barrier then the next christening or the next thing like that will will be easier and it will get easier um there was no way no way I was going to let my friend down like she's My best friend, and she'd asked me to be godmother um, to her son many months before. And you know, after Teddy died, of course she said, "We'll change the christening date. We'll do it another time. You don't have to come." You know, you can all these all these things that she was coming up with. And I said, "No, I've got to come. I want to be there. I absolutely want to be there." And it was really tough. Really, I mean, so so tough. Um, But I wouldn't change that. I did it. And I wouldn't. And I'm glad I went. And I'm glad that we did it. And actually, because there were other friends of ours and her family who I know incredibly well, all there on the day. Everybody was lovely and so kind and so supportive. And Mm. you know, they made a toast to Teddy. And it was, it was just one of those things. And I'm sure you had them. You know, after Willem died, things that you thought, no, I, I I still need to do that. And there's part of me that is terrified to do it. But at the same time, mm. I really want to do it mm. for myself. Um, yeah,
1: you talk about that year of firsts. And, and I, I so recognize that you sort of dread those first times. But once that first has happened, it feels a bit easier. Yeah. And the anticipation of the first is almost harder than it actually happen- happening.
2: Yeah, the, the, the build-up is worse than the actual. That's why I always say to people who contact me sort of since I started writing who are going through that year of firsts and you know dreading a first birthday um and that's normally kind of what I say to people you know I don't know how it is for you but this is what I find I've always found that the build-up is worse than the actual day itself Mm. the day itself of whatever it is that I'm fearing tends to fly by and not be as bad maybe I have a tendency to build it up in my head that it's going to be dreadful and I'm not going to be able to get out of bed in the morning and all of these things and then actually the reality is it's easier than I anticipate. Mm-hmm. I think um, christening is hard
1: weirdly I didn't I didn't think about you know when I thought about those firsts and the things that I was going to do I remember thinking the first time I hold a baby the first time a good friend of mine has a baby that's all going to be hard but weirdly christening sort of didn't feature that much and I remember I think the first christening I went to was my niece's christening which was this year and I found that really hard and I think it was because like you said like Willem never got to do that and he should have done and I felt it was so unjust yeah and you know you wrote a paragraph um about the christening which I actually want to read out again sorry this isn't going to just be a reading of your book that's fine but um You write, it all felt so unfair, knowing that this would never be happening for Teddy. His one occasion in front of his family at the front of the church was both his first and last, his funeral service. And that, for me, really articulated the bitterness of, and the things that, You know, when your child dies, you know that there are things that are going to be hard. But there are so many more things that you don't realise are going to be hard, that are really hard and sort of like nip you at at the heels like a sort of angry dog that darts out of a bush. It
2: just seems so unfair. Like this week for me, back to school week. Oh, Oh my God, back to school week. And I understand the incredible, incredible pride that every parent has on that day that their child starts nursery or preschool or you know, reception and it's wonderful and it's it's loving and everybody writes these lovely, you know, paragraphs on social media about what they wish for their child and how hard it is and it's, it's just another, oh God no, not another, another thing that actually September after next or the one after that is going to roll around and I'm going to think, yeah, September after next, two years, and I'm going to be there thinking here's another milestone another thing that Teddy doesn't get to do
1: yeah yeah it's tough and you know you don't want people to feel embarrassed or ashamed about celebrating these moments That's never I'm sure ever I'm-
2: absolutely and you know I would never begrudge anybody for for celebrating those wonderful things in life I always feel so happy for all of my friends and people who I know but it's a bit like um when we did the Tommy's campaign together and they asked you know were you angry at other people were you jealous you know feelings of jealousy and I can remember answering that question with I wasn't angry at anybody else who had their children there or who was having a baby I was angry at the universe for taking mine away from me and that is where my anger goes out to it goes out to that kind of you know that everything that why why did that Have
1: to not happen for Teddy and for Willem. And I, you know, what's almost worse then is when other people presume that, you know, you don't want to hear their news and so exclude you from the email or walk to the other side of the street where they've got the new baby. And that's the worst because you're like, I don't, I've lost so much. I don't want to lose you as a friend. I don't want to lose out on the rich experiences of life. Like, I will say no um, if I feel that I can't come, but please don't not invite me. That's the kind of the worst.
2: Yeah, and I think that's that's the fear, isn't it? That the other women look at you because you've lost a child and you, you become all of their worst fears realised, don't you? You are the personification of the worst thing that could happen because you're standing there and you're still real and it's happened to you and you've walked through the other side of it. So in many ways, I kind of feel almost invincible on some days because if you can go through that pain the unthinkable and you're still here and you wake up every morning and you can still appreciate the things in life you do it gets it's really I think we've said it before you know it's really empowering it's really it makes you think god I I can I can do this I can absolutely do this but for people who've not been through that to them it, it is inconceivably sad and unthinkable and so they can't quite sometimes find a way that they would articulate good news to you without the fear of it crushing you um and of course it won't crush you because the worst thing's already happened (laughs) you know like it it can't get any worse um so i always think you know when when my friends and and lots of my friends have had children since teddy died in fact, all. Three of my sister-in-laws have had a baby in the last two years. Um, one of them, it was their third, one their second, and one their first. And I was equally happy for every single one of them. And each time I have held those three new nieces, it has it has been amazing. It's been wonderful. Um, lots of my friends have had children in between Teddy dying and now. And some of my friends are pregnant at the moment. And I do hear that hesitation in their voice when they come to tell me that they've got happy news and they, you know i i hear it i hear them sort of stumbling over those words and trying not to be clumsy with how they and and you kind of just want to go oh, for god's sakes just yeah. tell me that you're pregnant and we can just i can say well you know congratulations well done and 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 that will be that and 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 it's it's a happy occasion but yeah i think it is that fear of being you being everybody's
1: worst case
2: scenario. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You call it the benchmark of shit. <laughs> yes, the
2: be- <laughs> And it and it is it, that is a thing though, isn't it? Because I'm sure you guys had it. Something horrible happens to you and then the next time you're having a normal conversation with your friend and they say, "Oh god, you know, this has happened to such and such." And then they caveat it. In the next second, they say, of course, it's nothing compared to what's happened to you. Because they don't want to be perceived as they're moaning and they don't want you to think that they're thinking, oh, God, this this trivial thing that's happened is the worst thing in the world when you're still a few months or six months down the line from losing your child. They don't want you to... So they feel like every time they have to say it, they yeah. have to say, of course, you know, it's nothing compared. And you feel like it's just saying- "I like, listen with good reason too, yeah.
1: because, you know, if you did, then if there's someone was moaning about the fact that their car got nicked, you're like, I remember one person saying to me, oh God, nothing worse can have my car got nicked. I'm like, mm, kind of has <laughs> to me. So, but yeah, I could laugh about that. But I, lo- what I love the fact is that you and and your husband called it the benchmark of shit yeah. and could sort of laugh about it. Yeah,
2: I think it gets to that that point doesn't it that you you just have to find these things that do almost kind of make you inwardly chuckle every time somebody does it or says it it's like every time somebody tilts their head at me I can't not think about the sympathetic head tilts. I'm like oh head tilters why do they do it (laughs) it's like they don't have the words and so they just go "Ah," and shrug their shoulders and put their head to the side and and it comes from such a lovely place but it's I guess it's some uh, a physical action that I've seen so many times in those in that kind of time after and I still get it every now and then when I'm talking about Teddy but yeah I guess there are those little things that I kind of just had to had to talk about in the book because if you didn't laugh you'd cry <laughs> you know I love I do love the positivity in the
1: book I know that the sort of subject matter is not the most joyful but I think people who read your book will be surprised at how joyful and light and easy to read it is in in a good way I mean all of those things obviously you know you talk about the kind of one of the bits that kind of really shocked me was the sort of you know the felt that you the fact that you felt you were expelled from sort of the 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 new mums group and that there was behavior which was really hurtful when people just didn't want to talk to you didn't want to acknowledge you because ultimately because of their own insecurities because they didn't know how to articulate anything that would that you know they couldn't in the way that you can formulate a sympathetic and helpful something to you they just thought well I'll do nothing and think that that's that And I'm sure those people are feeling terrible but at the same time you found a wonderful group of women who had also lost babies who became you call them the warriors yes the I warrior did I women. found
2: those girls um and that was incredible and I think and i Right in the back of the book, in the acknowledgements, that, you know, they will always be the shining light. They, sorry, I'm getting emotional. it <laughs> came out of losing Teddy because it's one of these things, like you've just said you think the worst has happened. No one understands how you feel. You're the only one, as far as you're concerned, you're the only one that's happened to. And to think that any good, any kind of anything good could come out of that is totally you you can't imagine that something good could could come out of it yeah i mean
1: <laughs> i think you know i felt so alone because i knew no one who would experience what i had experienced and to feel alone when you're feeling otherwise strong is bad enough but to feel alone when your world has crumbled around you is exactly. just the and worst it,
2: it just gave me that it just gave me that person that people group of people who said yeah me too that that's really crap isn't it or you know somebody has said this to me at work or one of my friends has um, unwilling said something else that you know was quite hurtful and it was just it was like a, a sounding board it was somewhere that you could throw all those things into throw all those emotions and scenarios into a, a whatsapp chat and people would get it
1: and and you can be you can kind of joke about the shittiness of the situation which you can't like if you haven't experienced it you can't then joke about it but to be in a group of women who have every every one of your lives is as shitty as as everyone else's you kind of feel that you can then joke about it and sometimes that lightness is really important yeah
2: and um you know that is the kind of humor that is in our chat all the time you know somebody will say something like oh well you know, my baby died. So and if anybody else said those two words out out loud, you know, dead baby, most people would just run, you know, but because it's happened to you, you, you do kind of get the free pass to say whatever you want about it, however you want. And it's, and it's really good to kind of have that sense of humor and keep that humor going through, through life anyway. But I think particularly in that chat, our shared sense of humor and sarcasm and, you know, laughing at, at different scenarios is definitely what has, you know, bonded us all other than the, you know, the obvious shared experience. But actually I probably wouldn't, well, I would never have met any of these girls had Teddy not passed away. And it's so, you know, we all live in completely different areas geographically all over the country. And yet, now, if you stripped all of that away, the, the the fact that we'd all lost a child, I love them all so dearly. And they're just brilliant girls. And uh, that, yeah, as I said, that will always be the kind of shining goodness that came out because it gave me somewhere to, to belong when I'd felt like I'd been kicked out um, of a club. It gave me my own new club. I mean... <laughs> fair enough probably not the club that anyone wants to be in but you know I'll take it I had some friends and they got it and it was and it was lovely
1: and you found them on social media
2: social media yeah and I write about that in the book you know say what you like about social media and I understand that it definitely has its um its flaws and the things that it shouldn't be used for but I couldn't find anything, anybody who was speaking to me in the way that I was feeling about Teddy. And then I did, through little squares in an app in my phone. And it was, yeah, it was incredible. And their willingness to want to be friends and want to build that connection and meet other people as well was was just brilliant. And then, you know, they, they go from being names and and pictures in your phone to actual real life friends who you meet up with and you see at at different things and you know we've both we've all been very lucky that um so both michelle and i have recorded um a podcast together we did g's podcast and um that was a brilliant opportunity because we got to talk about that friendship and how it formed and the other girl's are all very active in raising money for charities like Tommy's. So, you know, somebody will always be, you know, the husband will be doing a bike ride or somebody will be running a half marathon or some, you know, there's always something going on or we're involved in the same campaigns together. Um, and it's lovely because there's that kind of, that's our way of parenting. That's our that our thing that unifies us and brings us all together. And yeah, it's really nice that we can all share that together yeah. as we kind of move forward and you've
1: built you know since with your with your blog and with your with your posts a huge following on social media huge and very engaged following I think people are a bit frightened of social media sometimes I definitely was I didn't I it wouldn't have been the last thing I would have thought of to go on social media to try and find a community that understood what I was going through and and I still am a bit scared of sharing too much just because I just think oh, I can't deal with any sort of negativity but for you it's been really cathartic hasn't it
2: it's been a hugely positive experience, and I think because I didn't—I mean, it, I mean—you can tell. I—I I imagine from my posts and the way that my Instagram is very unpolished <laughs> that it's just kind of happened. It's just kind of snowballed, and I often look at it and think, well, "This has got out of hand." Because you know, it wasn't ever my intention to um, to gather quite such a crowd shall we say um my husband's favorite thing now to say is oh you know that's like talking to Wembley stadium and i think <laughs> that's horrifying how that's many followers so have you got on
1: on social media it's, it's just to put it in perspective
2: 80 80 something 80 yeah so it's i mean thousand i will add uh, to our uh, yeah. not 80 <laughs> 80000 yeah and but it, it wasn't my intention i went onto social media after Teddy died as a form of escapism that's what it was and I shared pictures of my house and my pug and things that I loved and baking and you know all the you know outside walks and all the beach in Cornwall and all of those things that we share when our our experiences and um and I stumbled across Michelle's account because I think I'd shared a couple of pictures of Teddy and I'd used you know certain hashtags and um she just came up on my suggested newsfeed, and I was really drawn in by her picture. It was a picture of a wall, a graffiti wall, and it said London on it. And I remember reading the first few sentences of what she'd written and my heart was just in my mouth because she was talking about reintegrating into the world after her daughter had been stillborn. And I just took my breath away and I thought, oh my God, this this is me. She gets it. She's just up the road. I... I need to contact this woman I need to tell her that I'm here too and and so I wrote a a comment on her post and um she replied to me and then later in the day she sent me a direct message um I don't even think I'd ever had a direct message on Instagram I didn't know what it was I mean I was I'd been on Instagram for a couple of years but I'd never really used it for anything other than posting pictures of my house and my dog um and she said you know we're starting this WhatsApp group do you want in and course I did and then she started telling me about all these other women who were talking about stillbirth and neonatal death so I you know instantaneously followed all of them and and that was how we formed the group and about nine months later I decided I would start a blog a lot of them were already blogging and sharing I wasn't ready to do anything like that I hadn't really thought that I could do that and I wasn't in a place of my grief where I could have articulated anything sensible, um, and then actually, I decided that I would start a blog, but it wouldn't be just about Teddy. It would be about all those other things in my squares that my Instagram had originally been about. But I would integrate Teddy into that. So, as you know, I have a huge love of home and interiors and all of those kind of things that I like to faff around with at home, and um, and I think quite often people start to follow me because of that and because of the pretty pictures and then they scratch the surface and they realize that I'm actually talking about something else as my sort of main well not my main focus but it is a, a big part of what I'm talking about because I read something the other day that if you want if you want to raise awareness and fight a battle on something then you need to gather a crowd and I think the thing with child loss is so terrifying. People don't want to gather around if that's all that you're talking about because it's, it's not a fun subject. But if you're going to talk about some other stuff and you're going to pepper it with all the lovely things in life that make us all happy and smile. Um, then when once that crowd are there, when you go to say something else about something that's maybe not as appealing to listen to, They listen. And so that's what I found is like finding that balance, striking that balance. Um, But it's also reflective of life, isn't it? Yeah. Just because something awful happens to you doesn't mean all the good things stop. And
1: actually, you know, my life is still peppered with amazing. I mean, the majority of it is amazing. There's a little bit of it that's awful and that awfulness will always remain there. But that is kind of, you know the world still continues to be beautiful the sun continues to shine you yeah. can still not feel guilty about buying a new dress and making it feel really good that you've bought yourself a new dress yeah. and you look really great in it or you've bought you know and some new cushions for your sofa whatever it is you know those I found that was really important like spoiling yourself being kind to yourself and not being not feeling guilty about enjoying life after your baby's died
2: yeah and I think this um You get a different kind of mum guilt after your baby has died. And it's the, oh, I shouldn't be laughing. I shouldn't be enjoying myself. I shouldn't have that glass of champagne with my friends and and have a really good giggle because my child's not here. So I must be sad forever. You know, and and it's that pang of... What, why am I carrying on doing, you know, I, I I should feel sad. Of course I should feel sad. And it's a different kind, and I've written about it in the book, it's a different kind of mum guilt to the the guilt that mums feel when they think they're, you know, not being the best or or going to everything or doing everything at the same time and and they drop a ball in the juggle and, you know, everything comes crashing down and they feel terrible. It's that kind of underlying, that feeling of guilt of, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't be doing that because my baby died. But at the same time, you know, you, you, that feeling for me will always be there, and I just have to get over it because I'm not going to stop living my life, and I'm not going to stop having that glass of champagne with my friends, and I'm not going to stop going on holiday or, you know, having a great time when we go down to the to Cornwall running across the beach I'm not going to stop doing any of these things because they make me happy and they remind you of all the things in your life that are amazing and I think of it a little bit like um sort of an incomplete jigsaw puzzle so obviously everything's amazing and it all looks really really good and then there's that one piece that's just you know it's not there and that's not going to change so we just have to learn to appreciate looking at it with a little piece (laughs) missing and just appreciate the rest of it
1: but he is here isn't he Teddy is here he's alive in your book I mean your book is an amazing tribute to him and I remember you saying at one point you know the reason you talk about him is because and and raise money in his memory is because it's that's your way of parenting and you know you are you've achieved so much since, since in those you know years since since he's died and you know you've you've amassed a huge following on social media you are an opinion changer you have written a book and people want to hear about what you say and you will no doubt change people's attitudes in terms of what they do and how they treat people who are in similar situations to to ours.
2: I hope so, and I hope you know it does. I hope it does serve to support people but also change conversations and change what that narrative of parenting means to other people who've not experienced it and for me you know I know on social media I talk a lot about fundraising and Teddy's legacy and the money that we've raised and things yes that is a a brilliant part of it and it's hugely positive that we've been able to do that um with fundraising but this changing a conversation, changing the way that society views something and talks about it, for me, that's his real, you know, legacy. And I hope that that kind of starts to happen and it gets carried forward. And, you know, even in the time, the short time that I've been writing and sharing on social media, there's a huge kind of uprising now of so many other parents doing it. And I... I just think it's wonderful. I think the more people, the more voices there are out there, the more circumstances, you know, the more, you know, dynamics of family life that we see and people experiencing pregnancy and infant loss across the board, no matter who they are, you know, it shows that it doesn't discriminate. Absolutely doesn't. I think it's so important that those people have a voice too and that we all can can talk and relate to it because it you know it will change the conversation and hopefully the feeling that feeling of awkwardness for everyone will mm. kind of disappear and we'll be able to just be more normal and and it not freak everyone out
1: they say don't know they, they say it takes a village to raise a child yeah and you know when you translate that to not when the child's not there you kind of rely on that village even more, don't you? You yeah. couldn't do this alone. And probably some of the hardest, I mean, obviously, apart from, you know, losing my baby, but, you know, some of the hardest things to deal with is society's unwillingness or making it quite difficult um, or more hurtful. I mean, in, in at one point in your book, you talk about a really badly worded letter you got from the oh, hospital yeah. describing Teddy as what an unfortunate incident or know, unfortunate. the
2: unfortunate outcome of my pregnancy is what he was referred to as oh, I've never been so angry in my life because I just thought that has come from a consultant that has come from an obstetrician after I delivered my baby in that hospital you know and and he was there and he was alive and then he's and then he's died and and they haven't said I'm so sorry you lost your son and uh, to me I just I read those words and they just burned into me and I think because they hurt me so much like so much and it just made me so angry and I remember thinking I have to say something even though I don't feel strong enough to say anything next time we go in I'm gonna say something and so I took that letter with me in my shaky little hand and I sort of just put it down on the table in front of him and I pointed at the line and I said that. That needs to change, and I explained to him how it made me feel. And I mean, he looked mortified. He was so apologetic, and he said, "You know, the net- letter should never have been worded like that," Um and that he would make sure that they looked into changing even the standard letters um, to be more considerate towards people's feelings. And actually, the reality of what had happened—they'd lost a child. It wasn't an unfortunate outcome. Mm. I mean, it was an unfortunate outcome, but the child is not should not be referred to as that. Um, and I guess I just. I wanted to protect other anyone else any other parent from feeling how I felt when I read those words because it just I and mean, it was horrible and yeah well, it was just
1: so unnecessary you know shit happens yeah they could have nothing as it turned out could have could have saved Teddy's life no no one can do anything about that. But that is totally unnecessary. And I wonder whether, you know, maybe they need to consult people who've been there to say, listen, you know, what? how could we maybe, you know, you don't want to get too airy-fairy. Obviously, this is a professional letter that needs to get to the point. But there is language you can use. And language doesn't cost the NHS anything. It just requires a little bit of thought. And just, the you know, feeling that the person writing the letter actually cares a bit about you rather than you just being patient number two six five. Eight.
2: I just found the language really dehumanising and it turned Teddy into an object and me into an object, the pregnancy into a a scenario rather than an actual physical thing that happened. Um, and that was what I think needed to change. There needed to be an element of this involving two human beings, one who is no longer here, and that, that was missing. And I just, you know, I said that to him. But I think, going back to what you are saying about the NHS... I think that there are some things that that need to change in those sort of early weeks, a months after you lose a child. You should not be sent out of hospital without your baby and with a bundle of leaflets in your hand. You should mm. not be. I I mean, I can remember saying to Nico, my husband, when um, all these letters kept coming through the door, and it reminded me of Harry Potter. Do you remember when mm. those letters? Yes, yes, they just yes. keep coming and coming and coming. And I kept saying to him, <laughs> these letters, I'm being Harry Pottered, like what's going on? And it was another letter from another, you know, branch of the NHS or another something to do with support or another charity or another. And it, it almost seems to me like there needs to be one communication point and that all of the support for that family comes through that communication point and that was something that I fed back to them afterwards I just I felt like at a time when I couldn't process my emotions um and you're in that oh my god this has just happened to me plus hormones and everything I didn't even want to see anyone else other than my closest family members and yet all these letters were coming asking you did you want to do this do you want to speak to this person do you need this do you need that I don't I don't know I don't know which way is up right now I can't tell you what I need and I remember just I mean some of them I'll be honest went in the bin some of them I sort of filed away thinking oh, okay I'll, I'll I might need that one day and weirdly because I was on another planet and didn't really know what was going on um I put them in a folder and I put them in a cupboard and not that long ago I was clearing that cupboard out and I found the folder with all of these leaflets and letters and things that I thought that one day I would, I would I might I might need, um, I could, didn't have the heart to throw them out, so I kept them. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm going to need them now. Maybe I do. Um, but I just, yeah, I'd obviously put them somewhere so safe, you know, when you put things in that really, really safe place that you're never going to find again. Um, but for me, you know, that was quite telling, because I thought, well, actually... I guess maybe I just found the, again, the impersonal approach of just letter, 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 just something I couldn't really relate to. And actually, for me, it was reaching out to other real human beings um, through social media that gave me that comfort that I needed.
1: Well, you really needed one person to come and visit you, like the community midwife does, yeah. um, and but to be the right person because I know the first person that came to visit you just yeah the wasn't...
2: bereavement midwife was that wasn't an ideal situation for me, and I'm sure it might work for. I mean, that's that's the thing with the book, you know. It's I'm not saying <laughs> th- this was all wrong. Everything that happened was wrong, or, or everything that these people did was right. All I'm saying is how. I perceived that situation and and how it made me feel and what my experience was might not be right for everybody else I'm sure that there are people who have seen that bereavement midwife who uh had a much more positive experience and continued to see her and um and clicked with her but it wasn't right for us um and the community midwives who came out after Teddy died, to check on me, sort of physically. And, you know, they push your tummy, don't they? And Mm. check you're kind of going back together Mm. in the right fashion. Um, They're all lovely. But the difficult thing there was I saw somebody different every time. So although they had my notes and they knew that the worst had happened, I felt like I was having to tell the story and show his photographs again. And, you know, it would just be nice to have one to have one Mm, Um, continuity
1: of care we know is like the most beneficial yeah you're pregnant when you're not pregnant
2: through that whole journey and I think you know the difficult thing that I know now is that um from friends of mine who have lost uh and gone on to have more children is you know I will be when the time comes when we hopefully have more children um entitled to uh case handling midwife which means I will get that continuity of care because the worst has already happened to me Mm. so they will hold my hand the same person through the entire process and I guess I suppose I'm being idealistic but I would love for us to live in a world where I don't just get that because I've had the worst case scenario but the lady down the street from me who's has her first pregnancy also gets that you know why should why should it come to a point where it's so bad that actually we can't allow that person to feel any worse about this situation before we step in and make that make that happen baby
1: has to die before you get the care yeah
2: yeah yeah (laughs) um but you know maybe i'm just living in a you know in an idealistic world and that uh, there'll probably be so many reasons why that wouldn't be possible in the nhs at the moment but i'd like to think one day that it might be Mm. a possibility for more people and when you mention obviously hopefully more babies I know
1: you said in the book that you know you had another pregnancy that you lost um, 15, 15 weeks yeah. in relatively shortly after, after Teddy's death.
2: Yeah it was within the year.
1: And it just feels that life is so cruel.
2: Yeah it did and I can remember thinking again this was another one of those times when felt like running out in the street and I think I write in the book I felt like running out in the street screaming up at the universe and telling it how angry I was and you know why did why did that have to keep happening to us and I would just remember just it took a lot for me to wrap my mind around that that could happen again yeah again because people say or people say lightning doesn't strike twice lightning doesn't strike twice can't and nothing could happen to you now and you know the few people that we had told because I was so nervous and so scared it's going to be wonderful this wonderful news lightning doesn't you know doesn't strike well it does lightning does (laughs) strike twice um and it feels really crap when that happens um and that was actually the point that I started writing after that happened to me. That was what I did. I I think it was a couple of weeks later I started the blog and I remember thinking I have to take this emotion. I have to take how this has made me feel both times and turn it into something cathartic for me which it was hugely um, but turn it into something that hopefully other people walking through those feelings can, if they can't find that somewhere else or they can't speak it out loud themselves it gives them that place it gives them that feeling that they're not losing it and yeah that was kind of the catalyst if you like that made me start the blog was that second loss um and we still hope to go on to have more children but unfortunately since that loss um I have experienced other complications of which you know and that is ongoing so we shall see
1: with fingers crossed.
2: Yes, fingers, toes, everything, mm. legs. <laughs> no, not legs.
1: <laughs> well, if that works, I'm happy to cross my legs. <laughs> You're so positive, though. You are someone that sort of unfailingly, you know, has a smile on their face and sees the good in spite of. Have you always been like that?
2: I get. I mean, I guess so. Yeah i I grew up with two older brothers, which I've said in the book, and I think that's character building having two older siblings and being told no you can't you're too small or you can't join in so I guess I was kind of very much my husband calls it gumption he always says I have gumption because I'm always you know want to get stuck in and do stuff and and do stuff to the best of my ability so I can't stand when things are like not finished properly does that make sense and yeah. i always think well if you if you're gonna do it you've got to do it properly and you've got to and I guess it means that I just approach everything with enthusiasm always. Um, and yeah, I suppose I get it from my mom. I'm sure I get it from my mum. She's like a little positive Polly as well. You know, she's always smiling and always very much. Well, we can do this and we can do that. And I, I went into management um, and I used to manage a team of people and I think, that was something I hope I mean they might say differently if they're listening to this but I hope that that was always something that I kind of did in my work life um was was bring a positive spin on things when everyone was saying oh god this is so crap and this is happening and that's happening and I hope I was always that person that went well Come on, guys! You know, let's yeah. look at the let's look at the glass half full. We can do this. We can change this. We can make this happen. Might not be so bad. Yeah, <laughs> it might not be so bad. Think about it this way, and you know, I probably annoyed the hell out of so many people because I used to do that a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of attitude when you face any kind of adversity or any tough challenge in life, um, physical challenge or emotional challenge it is like mind over matter isn't it if you can find that energy that sort of strength that sparkle Mm. and you can inject it back into your life then it will absolutely help you because I think I've said this to you before and I've definitely written in the book that in those early days after Teddy died and Nico had gone back to work I can remember walking around the house and saying out loud all of the things that were good in my life <laughs> sounds crazy
1: Did you come up with this idea by yourself or did like it, no like the internet tell you to anywhere. do it
2: no i i came up with and, and i'm sure it is actually probably a technique that yeah, is used sure. in in therapy um but it was essentially my technique to count my blessings. <laughs> um, and so I would walk around the house and I would, you know, as I was getting up in the morning, get out of bed and I would say to myself, I have a lovely home. And then I would say, I have a lovely family. like, And I would literally repeat, you know, I'm having a good hair day, whatever it was. And I mean... Goodness, nays and neighbours, if anybody heard me. It was the summer, the windows were open, they probably did. But it, it made me actually out loud count my blessings and count, yes, Teddy wasn't here and it was devastatingly sad and every part, every molecule of me wished that that was different. But I couldn't help the hand that I had been dealt. It wasn't, like you've said, it wasn't going to change. So I had to think of all the things that I did have I mean, it would, don't get me wrong, it was like looking for a needle in a really shitty haystack. But it, it, for me, it worked. Again, it, as I said, I can only talk from my own experience. It might not work for everybody. But for me, on those days when I thought I could not, it made me realise that I could. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. <laughs> it makes
1: total sense. And it's kind of proven, you know, that if you focus on the positive, it does lift you up. Yeah. I remember reading recently, you know, try, someone gave me a positivity journal, um, a girl that did the bump class actually. And uh, it, it sort of encouraged you before you go to bed, think of all the good things that have happened. And then when the first thing you wake up in the morning, think of what you're looking forward to in that day. And honestly, it's, it's amazing. I try and do it with my kids actually. Yeah. Um, certainly before they go to bed, just to remember the things they really love and we do get bogged down with negativity i think in the 21st century and you know you have there's competitiveness especially when it comes to social media and you're trying to run a business and there's so many negatives obviously there's so many positives that you've thought about too but i think if we focus more on the positive that can't be anything but helpful you know expecting rather than expecting things to be bad expecting them to be good if there's no reason why they shouldn't be i had an email today from my daughter's school saying oh you know the Teacher that they were going to have has now fallen very ill, and there needs to be a replacement teacher. And part of me was like, "Oh, they haven't even met the teacher." And then I think, you know, she could be the best thing that's ever happened to my daughter. She could be so inspirational and have such empathy with with that class that it could be the best thing. And there's no reason why that shouldn't be the case. So let's focus on that. So when I broke the news to my daughter, I was like, "You've got a new teacher," and apparently she's awesome and she's from south africa and she you know and and that enthusiasm you might as well have that yeah you've got nothing else you can't other than enthusiasm nothing's going to influence that situation apart from enthusiasm yeah
2: and i always think like if you approach a situation with that no one can take that away from you Mm -hmm. like if that's the attitude you Mm -hmm. always go in with Mm -hmm. and you always think right this is going to be good i'm going to be able to do this no one can take that away mm-hmm. from you because that is that is how you're perceiving a situation. Mm-hmm. So if you think it's going to be great, mm. even if it turns out to be an utter shower of shit, <laughs> you've gone in there with the best intention, and you've you know you've you've given it your best shot. And I think like it's probably how I've approached most things in my life, um, whether it be you know jobs or relationships or whatever else, friendships. You know, if you do that, then. And I always think if you go in with that attitude, you get so much more out of stuff, don't you? Whereas if you go in thinking, you know, this is going to be terrible, then it will be terrible. And, yeah. you know, I'm probably sure for your daughter, she's now really excited about meeting her new teacher and going to school because you've told her, great news, you've got a new teacher. She
1: came and told me how excited she was yeah, this morning. I think that's
2: <laughs> super cool. I love that.
1: I think too, you know you can't control what happens in your life you kind of think you might kind of, but that's quite frustrating mm-hmm. you know you can if you know it's quite scary actually to think you know that your dearest and nearest and dearest can be taken away from you but actually how you perceive a situation is something you have total control over and after your child has died and you realize it was totally out of your hands to have something that you are in total control of like you said that no one can take away from you but also that you can totally influence the outcome of. It's quite empowering in a way, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and that's what I said. When I say, you know, you kind of feel almost invincible once you've walked through those feelings. And I'm sure there will be things that will happen in my life that will test my emotions again to the limit. Um, But knowing that I've walked through that already, it's it's almost like you're kind of building up layers of a suit suit of armour to be able to get you through life, you know, and... Yeah, it's it's incredibly freeing, and it, you do feel very empowered. That you know, you you almost know that you can handle what life throws at you, because we're obsessed, aren't we, with being in control of everything these days? I think we're obsessed with, you know, I'm going to do this by this age, and I'm going to have this, and I'll have achieved this, and I'll be. You don't know. You you could be sitting here talking today about what we're going to do next year, and you know there might not be a next year for for one of you and that is obviously terrifying but we don't dwell on it too much we just have to give it our best our best shot and and be enthusiastic with whatever time we have here um and try and just have a good time I <laughs> you know that sounds I think mean, I do a lot of um being silly on Instagram there's a lot of dancing and you know lip-syncing badly to songs and just being generally silly and I think you know not having inhibitions like that is really it just makes life a lot more fun when you don't care what people you know if people think you're being silly then they'll more for them because I'm having a great time <laughs> so you know I just it is is fun so you're sitting here
1: um and obviously you don't have Teddy with you although you know not physically anyway mm-hmm. but you are a successful writer and blogger and you've written a book that um you know and you are influencing people you are changing people's opinions do you think you're a different person since teddy's birth
2: yes and no yes because so many things about how i approach things are are different now obviously i've, I've always like i said been a positive person but i think i i th- it's difficult it's difficult to put it into words i think i um care a lot less about what people think of me but in a good way um not I don't care what people think of me you know in in that way um in a selfish way I mean actually having giving time for yourself and self-care and looking after yourself is not selfish so if I say no I can't do that and no I can't go to that It's not because I don't like that person. It's not because, you know, any other reason that's negative. It's because I'm trying to be kind to myself. So I have learnt to be kind to myself because of having lost Teddy. Um, And that is a really nice place to be in your life when you can feel like you can do that without upsetting or offending anybody. Um, I think I am probably stronger than I thought I was emotionally. I think I've surprised myself. And yeah, I'm different because I'm a mum now. And I, everyone says that, and it's really cliche. Oh, you, you know, you'll have a baby and this baby will come into the world and everything that's gone before will seem insignificant and you'll have this epiphany where everything's totally different and you're a mum now. And I have to say, I think that is the same feeling whether your child is here or your child isn't here i i, I feel different mm. because i brought a human into the world and you know that doesn't change so yeah i think i i think i do feel i mean i'm still me if you scratch the surface but hopefully i've got rid of all the selfish you know parts and the, the parts that people You know, I worried too much about insignificant things or or got rage about, you know, insignificant things. And now I kind of let them... Oh, don't get me wrong, I still get pissed off at things unnecessarily... But generally, I let them wash over me a lot more. Do you find that? Absolutely,
1: yeah. absolutely. It, makes, it puts in perspective what's important in life and what's not important in life. And society is very good at making you feel that you have to conform, not only to how you look, but you know, that you can't be late and that you can't, you know, the children have to be sent to school with exactly the right snack. And you just think god does it, any of it really matter it a bit yes i do understand they need pea shoes trainers um but at the same time if one or two days you forget them is it worth getting stressed about no i think it's more important you have a nice morning and you're not annoyed at each other yeah and or if, if homework doesn't get done and yeah somebody
2: cuts you up totally i used to work in a job where i was on the road in in the car all day and i used to get the rage at people around london because this area used to be where i worked, and. um and now if, if somebody does that to me, I just think, oh, you know, that's how you that's how you're going to be. You're not going to get anywhere any faster. You know, and that's the around. worst thing that can happen <laughs> yeah, to me the, today. I'll take it. The worst thing that can happen in my day. And yeah, I guess I probably complain a lot less about all that stuff in life because it doesn't matter when all is said and done. It really it really doesn't at all and that's quite a nice place to be it's quite a comfortable place to be so I guess yeah I'm probably just more comfortable with myself and who I who I am and who I have turned into through having had Teddy
1: yeah, yeah articulated beautifully as as always <laughs> um well I think you're amazing I think I, I'm trying to work out whether you were this amazing before Teddy died <laughs> or uh, whether it's the sort of I think it makes you bolder doesn't it you sort of think I was definitely more cautious and now I just fling myself into stuff and write things and say things and you know like I remember the first time I wrote about Willem dying it was very private but was very cathartic and I was thinking oh god what are people going to say and now I write all sorts of quite you know confrontational stuff and I just think who cares if someone disagrees or if someone calls me something on social media quite frankly I don't read it Um, but you know I'm bolder in a good way not in a sort of brazen way but I think in a good way
2: I think it's so important because if if we weren't as individuals and if we didn't go through those journeys that allowed us a journey I hate that but I don't know how else to word it that allowed us to feel like we could say what we needed to say in the hope that it might speak to somebody else or help somebody else if we were so fearful of those people who didn't agree with us or that might not be necessarily that nice to us no one would ever say anything that would change the course of how things happened mm. or you know nothing Women would, wouldn't have the vote <laughs> nothing would ever change would it so I think it, every now and then it takes somebody to stand up and say do you know what I'm gonna be the one to talk about this or write about this like you have done on so many occasions and it yeah it's a nice place to be when when you're not scared or fearful that people are going to come at you. And, and I'm the same. You know, I get people write to me and say, I really don't think you should be dwelling on your the grief. Uh, I really don't think you should be writing about your son because the more you talk about it and write about it, you're never going to heal and you're never going to get over it you are never going to get over having had a child, like whether that child's here or not. I'm never going to wake up one day and say, oh, right, well, that's it. I'm over it now. Yeah. I shall not. Like the flu's passed. Yeah, I shall not grieve for my son anymore. I shall not give him a further thought because it's not healthy. Um, I mean, it's utterly ridiculous. You say it out loud like that and you just think, what is wrong with you? Why would you even suggest that that is a thing? So, I mean, quite often I, I'll admit when I get remarks like that, do just let it wash over me I have a little bit of a chuckle to myself because I think I feel really sad for you if that is how you've had to live your life where you can't feel things I mean I feel like we are incredibly lucky to live in the day and age that we do and the generation that we do because we are able to and that is like an amazing gift amazing thank you so much thank you for
1: having me I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Elle's book, Ask Me His Name, is available from all good bookshops and I couldn't recommend it more highly. You can also follow her on Instagram. She's at Feathering The Empty Nest. And finally, thank you for downloading another podcast of The Parenthood. Please do spread the word and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get this podcast. It helps people find us and the more people that listen, the more episodes we can record. Many thanks and goodbye.